We all know no tune can resist a good spoiler. Please! No spoilers! I'm begging you! Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films most dastardly schemes then try to improve them. I'm your host, Craig, and this week's movie is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So, don't be bad, just be drawn that way, and let's get diabolical. As always, I'm joined by our panel of peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us, aside from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, What's your favourite piece of live-action slash animation hybrid media? Hi, I'm Adam, and my favourite piece of hybrid slash animation media is from the same year as Roger Rabbit, which is Paula Abdul's Opposites Attract video, where she is uh, sweet-talking a cat. If we'd been playing the (laughs) Mr and Mrs game, that's what I would have guessed. (laughs) I take two steps forward, you take two steps back. back. That's why I specifically said media and not just movies, because I yeah. was hoping that you would pick that. <laughs> ben? Hello, I'm Ben. Um, and at first, this seemed like a really easy task compared to some of them. But as I thought about it, it became harder and harder. Ooh. And I've got three. Will you allow me to say them all? Yes. The first one is the SpongeBob movie, where SpongeBob is riding David Hasselhoff. Second one is the video... For Take On Me by Aha. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then the final one is a, a kind of, is a, a very nostalgic movie for me. I absolutely love it. And I have done since I was a child. Bedknobs and Broomsticks uh, with Angela I Lansbury. Had, I had that on my list. Not for the first time. I thought you were going to say Pete's Dragon and I was wrong mm. again. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. Have I misremembered you liking Pete's Dragon? For some reason, I thought you liked yeah. it. Yeah, it's me that yeah. liked Pete's Dragon. Uh, okay, and Gaz, is yours Pete's oh, Dragon? Sorry, can I just, can I, can I just uh, shoehorn in a little Jesse? You had just, three? It's a little oh, Angela Lansbury fact that I've been, I've been sitting oh, on for ages. Oh, oh. Uh, listen. oh, well, if it's an Angela Lansbury fact, feel free. Angela Lansbury fact! Did you know Lansbury playing Jessica Fletcher, as we all know in Murder, She Wrote? Uh, sorry, I've not heard that show. But did we, do you know there was a crossover episode with Magnum P.I. where Jessica wow. Fletcher was in Magnum P.I.? Jesus. Incredible. Speaking of Magnum P.I., one of the latest animation hybrid films is the new Chippendale film, which is on Disney+. Mm. Plus. Right. And someone online pointed something out, which is that Chip and Dale, one is dressed as Magnum P.I. and one is dressed as Indiana Jones, which are both mm. yeah. kind of Tom Selleck, sort of. Yeah, could have yeah. been in another universe. Yeah, I never knew that. Cut that out if you want. I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, is that your favourite piece of live action slash animation hybrid media? Me. Yeah. Uh, I'm Gaz. <laughs> My favourite piece of live action slash animation hybrid media. After a hasty Google, because I forgot what we were doing, I'm saying <laughs> Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> okay. It slipped my mind, I'm afraid. <laughs> I do like Mary Poppins Returns, though. It's very good. It is very good. Yeah. I, I really <laughs> loved it as well. Yeah. The only way from here is up is a particular highlight, I would say. Um, as for me, mine is a, a slight cheat, but my favourite live action slash animation hybrid movie is Osmosis Jones. And it's a slight cheat because the animated sequences don't play at the same time as the live action sequences so you get 
Bill Murray eating the food and then it goes inside his mouth and then his mouth becomes the animated universe. Mm. In a similar vein, another brilliant example of, of that kind of movie is uh, Enchanted. I don't know if you've seen that with Amy Adams. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, the, the live action and animated sequences don't uh, overlap necessarily. So you've already said Mary Poppins returns, but the first Mary Poppins, she'd get an honourable mention there because the sequences in that are really good too. Speaking of uh, slight cheats, when you first told us what you were going to be asking us, my my initial thought was Kill Bill for the Uranishi right. uh, origin oh, yeah. sequence. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. So no one said Space Jam two. Is there a particular reason for that? <laughs> I've got Space Jam written down. I haven't seen the second one, and I've heard no. it's terrible. But I haven't seen it either. The first one wasn't that good, was it? Really? Just to go back to uh, Chip and Dale, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. The fellow who voiced Roger Rabbit also does a voice in Chip and Dale. Charles Fleischer is a... Yeah, I'm looking at it now. He's a... Oh, in fact, he plays Roger Rabbit in... Oh, yeah, of course said he does. Movie. <laughs> yeah. well, it's got so many characters in it, it's hard to remember who's in it. Later, they'll be competing for the title of this week's Most Diabolical. But first, let's take a closer look at this week's movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a huge technical achievement in the world of live-action animation hybrids and an unprecedented crossover of beloved Walt Disney and Warner Brothers animated characters. Disney had taken baby steps into the genre decades prior, with scenes in live-action favourites such as Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Mary Poppins and Pete's Dragon doing a passable job of depicting animated characters sharing the screen with human actors, building on the promise of 1944's The Three Caballeros, which saw Donald Duck share the screen with Mexican star of radio and screen Dora Luz. However, this was the first attempt at combining live action with animation for every scene for a feature-length film, and thanks to meticulous planning and clever production, the first to truly sell the idea that animated characters had a solid presence in the real world and could fully interact with their environment and human co-stars. With an estimated budget of around $70 million, this was the most expensive production of the 80s. Due to the huge team required to complete the vision, it also featured the longest credit sequence of the decade. You can watch those credits on Disney if you want. Just watch them. Also in 1988, Disney's black sheep Tim Burton was blending stop-motion animation with live-action for key sequences in Beetlejuice. Roger Rabbit executive producer Steven Spielberg was supporting traditional animation further as a producer on Don Bluth's beloved The Land Before Time. The asking price was too high for Spielberg's dream casting pick for Eddie Valiant, Harrison Ford, who appeared instead in Roman Polanski's Frantic while second choice Chevy Chase wasn't interested, preferring to appear in the reputedly not very funny Funny Farm, while third choice Bill Murray, who missed the phone call and therefore the opportunity to play Eddie Valiant, got the consolation prize for starring in Christmas favourite Scrooged. Eddie Murphy, who was also offered the role prior to Hoskins, reportedly didn't get the concept and passed on the offer, instead giving us the McDowells of Eddie Murphy comedies, Coming to America prequel, Coming to America. (laughs) In world events, NASA scientist James Hansen testified to the US Senate on man-made global warming, birthing a whole new era of dumbass denial, while later in the year, Tat 8, 
the first transatlantic fibre optic cable improved the connection between the American and European internet, just in time for the Morris worm, the first malware to be distributed via the internet, to be launched from MIT in a weird marketing ploy that MIT hoped would lead the public to assume its Cornell-educated creator Robert Tappan Morris had studied at MIT. He hadn't. So, what did you think of 1988? Loved it. I thought it was all right, yeah. Cracking year. Roger Rabbit was the second highest grossing film of the year. Does anyone know what the highest grossing film of the year was? No, but I suspect you're going to tell us. Was it um, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? 1988. <laughs> can, we have a, can we have a clue, please? Uh, definitely 1988. Oh, Rain Man. <laughs> yes, it was Rain Man. Probably wow. cost significantly less to make than mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit as well. I'd have thought so. Although I don't know how much Tom Cruise's teeth cost. And all the gambling debts they incurred while filming. <laughs> I was going to say about um, when you said about the pick for the for the role of Valiant, I I did my research and it said Bill Murray was the, the pick. Mm. And both of Spielberg and Zemeckis, the first pick. And when he, he, he obviously missed the chance and he really, really, really wanted to take it. And he was in a public place when he found out it went to Bob Hoskins. And apparently he literally screamed out loud, just went, ah! Hoskins! <laughs> that was after they'd already offered it to Harrison Ford and he apparently priced himself out of it. He was their first choice. But yeah, Bill Murray mm. was, was a, one of their top choices. Mm. Well, it's pretty well known that he doesn't speak to people. He's got like a special phone number that he doesn't answer and he, he gets voicemail. Hmm. Uh, doesn't doesn't deal with agents or anything like that. So yeah, he he just missed that particular voicemail. By the time he heard about it, it was too late. Hmm. It's been a very different film. Yeah. Well, on that, uh, since we're talking about it already, we could talk about some of the other people who were considered for the role because uh, there's quite a number of them, and some of them are pretty surprising. So Kurt Russell, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams, that's kind of an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, uh, which might have an interesting link in some different trivia. Sylvester Stallone, Wallace Shawn, <laughs> if you know who he is. Yeah, Stallone, yeah. Ed Harris, Charles Grodin, Michael Keaton, Dudley Moore, Michael Bean, Gene Hackman. Is Michael Keaton Billy Crystal? I forget. Joe Pesci, <laughs> Robert De Niro. Leslie Nielsen, Steve Martin, and Rowan Atkinson were all considered for the role. Why is their shopping list so long? It says they were all considered, but you don't know how much, right? And who's saying it? Well, yeah, IMDb. The incorrect movie database. Satire. Yeah, (laughs) Wikipedia. If they could pick one of them and reshoot the movie, uh, well, go back in time, I'd I'd choose Robin Williams. He would have been not a straight man to Roger and it wouldn't have worked. No. Uh no, I think he's he can play it good, but then the comedy elements and stuff like that, you'd need somebody like him to really pull it off. You don't because Bob Hoskins did pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Hoskins was excellent. He did, he did, he did, but I just would like to see the movie with Robin Williams as well. I think you're alone and I think that will bear yeah. out if people respond to okay. this. You're wrong and you're a grotesquely ugly freak. <laughs> <laughs> so uh in some other casting uh nearlies. Christopher Lee was considered for Doom, but he turned it down. John Cleese expressed interest in the role, but they turned him down. They said he wasn't scary enough. Good. Peter O'Toole, F. Murray Abraham, Roddy McDowell, and Sting were all uh, considered. Do you know who who did a screen test for Doom and they said he was too scary? Christopher Lee. Vincent Price. Nope. Tim Curry. 
Mike Tyson. <laughs> Tim Curry. Oh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry, yeah. Yeah, they turned him down because they said he was too scary. Alright, time for a quick overview of the film then. Who Framed Roger Rabbit buddies up the eponymous bunny with embittered, toon-phobic private detective Eddie Valiant as the pair attempt to dodge the tenacious Judge Doom and clear Roger of suspicion for the murder of Toontown owner Marvin Acme, who Valiant had previously photographed in a compromising position with Roger's wife, voluptuous femme fatale Jessica Rabbit. So, panel of peril, what did you think of the movie? I love it. I think it's basically a perfect film. and. Yeah. Um... It for me talking about the casting uh, quite extensively there. It, it all hangs on Bob Hoskins. I think he's yeah. absolutely incredible. Just from a purely technical standpoint, if you've seen how they they shot the film, it was a rehearsal with something there for him to get his eye line on, and then there's nothing there for the take. Yeah, and it it feels as though there is something genuinely there every time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. purely from that point, it's, it's unreal. He's also got real comedy chops yeah one of my favorite lines is when he hops off the red car and it's just a throwaway line he just says thanks for the smokes kids yeah (laughs) just throwaway little bit that makes me laugh every time yeah Yeah, he has a few of those lines and he's just great and i think even his accent he just he nails it yeah he doesn't let it drop he's consistent all the way through yeah i've I've got this might be his finest moment and i love him in hook as smee I think this mm. might be his finest moment. I'm not sure about his accent. It's not an LA accent, and he does a few too many of those hard R's that English people do when they're doing an American accent. It's not supposed to be LA. It's uh, Brooklyn, isn't I it? I think it's more sort of a gruff film noir accent, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's this film noir yeah. accent, yeah, which a lot of them are kind of New York-y, so it's kind of more, more of an East Coast accent, mm. but I thought it was great. Oh, nevertheless, it is set in LA. Mm. Yeah. The thing, the thing that jumped out for me, uh, I haven't seen it for, I can't remember, I probably last watched it with you guys years and years ago and hadn't seen it. And I was like, oh, it's probably not going to stand the test of time. But as soon as it started and then they go outside of the studio and it's the, the, the costumes and the look of 1940s LA and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, this looks absolutely amazing. Um, especially it's in on Disney Plus, it's on 4K um, and it hmm. looks unbelievable. Yeah, they used that budget very well, high yeah. as it was. But yeah. then... With the research as well, you read about how the animators spent laboured over doing like, you know, when he goes into that back room and then there's that light swinging and stuff in the back room mm. of the, the bar. Um, he said that they had to animate all the shadows correctly for that and stuff. like. It, yeah. it's, and I was just like, what on earth? And it, you, you, and it was like 326 animators working full time on the movie. And it's when you and I was I did my research wow. a bit before I watched the movie. So when I watched it, I really sort of took in way more than just the visual aspect of it and the sound and everything. It was like the work behind it and stuff. In the animation world, they call it bumping the lamp because of that scene. And it just means to go above and beyond to make the the animation believable and, you know, have depth and weight. It was so good. I, I think that is for live action and animation crossover. Uh, I think that's the high watermark, and I don't think it's been surpassed yet, to be honest. Oh, for sure. Mike. But as is right, Bob Hoskins is key to that. He takes it seriously, mm. but like you say, he, he's great at the comedy, and not just the, the vocal comedy, but the slapstick comedy mm. as well. His physicality all the way through, mm. he sells the believability of this completely. 
the yeah. thing that that really brings the character to life though like you say is he takes it seriously and when he's looking through the photos first of Dolores and then it becomes his brother mm. and you just see the lips start to quiver and the eyes drop yeah and that's mm. proper fucking acting mm. that is it's so yeah. it's so subtle and on the money he's I love Bob Hoskins he's just he's the he was the man as you've been doing your research you might already know this but uh, apparently it took a little toll on his mental health he didn't make another movie for a year after and because he was so committed to visualizing the animated characters being in the space with him he started to hallucinate them offset apparently he saw one of the weasels in a woman's hair while he was talking to her <laughs> jesus felt like he needed <laughs> needed a break mm. so yeah hats yeah, off yeah, to I imagine. i'm quite a fan of noir in general i've read, I've read quite a few books and mm. And I like some of the old films. And I think this does such a great job in emulating that feel. You know, you've got, um, it almost it almost feels, except for the cartoon aspect of it, but it almost feels like a Raymond Chandler novel. You've got these mm. kind of, uh, this complex plot. You've got... The femme fatale. The femme fatale, the characters double-crossing each other, the secrets that kind of unravel as we go through. Yeah, I thought it was... Uh, if, if Bob Hoskins was playing Philip Marlowe, you would have believed it, you know, it's... Mm. It was amazing. Even stylistically, um, Hoskins' first shot in the film, where it's it's a fairly big close-up, half of his f- uh, face is in shadow, yeah, yeah, which is a very film law uh, way yeah. of shooting, isn't it? Yeah, and you know the animation great. copies that as well. You know the chiaroscuro, the hard contrast between shadow and light, and not only does that make these creatures more believable like they're in the world but it it also evokes that film noir feel so yeah. double win yeah. and as you mentioned the start there it was such a great opening because it starts with this cartoon and you're kind of thinking what's going on here and then there's a cut and suddenly you see the whole world around it and it's like wow yeah. how great is that cartoon by the mm-hmm. way it looks slick and modern in terms of production value but also it perfectly emulate like my memory of watching those looney tunes yeah. you know if i went back and watched them now the quality isn't there but in my mm. head that's my, how i remember them looking and feeling it's perfect yeah my favorite sequence i think is when they went into the the club and then it's uh, like a piano duel between donald duck and daffy duck and i was just yeah, yeah. Oh, i was just like this i was honestly howling and um uh, just the, so yeah. good. Away, speaking of you howling one of the notes i made while i was watching it is uh, I knew you were going to say Daffy this. Duck makes the... <laughs> <laughs> Daffy Duck makes the same noise as Turner makes when you throw him in cold water. <laughs> we were going to the cinema once, and you were on uh, the the famous old Colwyn spike jump, which you can jump into the ocean. Yeah. And uh, I, I came to ask you if you wanted to come to the cinema, but you instead jumped into the ocean and, and made that perfect <laughs> Daffy Duck noise. <laughs> I knew you were going to say yeah. that. I knew it. <laughs> well, the, yeah. the North Sea will do that to they you. Well, they make you make noises you never thought possible. The practical effects are so good as well, like the rabbit-shaped hole in the window when mm. he when he jumps out, Love and that, the set yeah. design, like the filing cabinet bed, really cool. Yeah. On the practical effects, my favourite was when uh, Bob Hoskins' character Eddie was in the elevator with Droopy. Oh yeah, and he gets mm. squished to the floor. Yeah, yeah. And they've yeah. got like the clothes yeah. spread out, and there's just his face popping through. Yeah. Obviously, but it, just, it looks perfect. Great, it's it? yeah. so good. Yeah. I actually the two down notes that I had on this. One of them is 
extremely minor, and I'm not actually sure if it's intentional. When Jessica is silhouetted behind the frosted glass of the detective agency door, it looks like the animation's unfinished. Like, there's her movement isn't complete. I don't know if she's meant to be walking in slow motion, but it just doesn't look right. And then the other thing is that compared to the rest of the film, Toontown doesn't look quite as good to me. It just nah, looks yeah. a lot cheaper than the rest. And he doesn't blend into that world as well as Roger does into his. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, it works better the other way around. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Mm, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's perhaps uh, intentional. I don't know. Perhaps. I, that's what I thought anyway, because it is it's show that he's not of that world. Yeah, that's it. And it goes from, yeah. you know, you've got that like like that noir sort of setting of uh late forties LA and then you go from that and it is such a departure that you get like I think you, it highlights I think that's the problem is that the rest of it is is noirish and that he goes into this bright over the top sunshine world. That's it. Well, I think that's partially the point. Because when he gets into the dark alley later on, it blends much down. better, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. Just, just one, one more highlight, and this part made me laugh way more than I think it should have. Is the singing sword? <laughs> yeah, it's alright. <laughs> just cracked me yeah, up. Cracks him out, just sword. Oh my god, I was crying. It's, just, it's, little, it's got little Jerry curls, and it's just like giving a, giving it big licks. I was laughing my head off. Do you know about the uh, screen tests? There's more than one, and uh, they're both interesting in different ways. So in 1983, they made a, a test reel, like a proof of concept, where Paul Rubens voices Roger. But then closer to making the, the movie in 88, they did another test where Eddie Valiant is played by Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they're both on YouTube, so you can watch them both. They're quite interesting. Huh. I'm definitely going to watch that one. Yeah, I'll put that in the description mm. as well. The posters in Maroon's office are all available online, and they're they're quite cool. Mm. So the first ones are Roger Rabbit shorts, some of which you can watch on. I think they're on Disney Plus up now. Mm. They were on there's some of the DVD and Blu-ray collections. So you've got. Like wartime propaganda stuff, like Herman's Sherman's, where Baby Herman is in, oh, a, yeah. in a tank, <laughs> and Roger is apparently Hitler, which is kind <laughs> of odd. Uh, you've got Babes in Arms, where it's uh, straightforward. Roger and Herman get uh, drafted into the army. Looks very wholesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, Baby Buggy Blunder. You don't see much apart from it's the introduction of Jessica, so it's how they met, which is kind of cool. Chasing him with a rolling pin. Yeah. As was the style of the time. <laughs> the horribly old-fashioned, the little engine that could, which is giving me <laughs> bad flashbacks to Disney's version of Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And then one more, which I've deliberately left till the end, uh, because it's very interesting. Pistol Packing Possum doesn't feature Roger oh. or Herman or Jessica. Uh, if you notice, Pistol Packing Possum has red eyes and a very long And a large gun, gun yeah. Ah. So it wow. is speculated that that is uh, Judge Doom. Doom. In the comic, ah. Doom is revealed to be uh, Baron Von something villainous name, and he has a special tune ability to, to be able to morph into any shape he wants. So it's speculated that he uh, he has some beef uh, with Maroon and maybe maybe Roger from his time as the pistol packing possum, hmm. which is kind of cool. 
Very good. Well, I never. I started reading the book. It's really weird. The the characters are not animated characters. They're comic strip characters. So, like, from the newspapers. And when Roger speaks, speech bubbles come out of his head. And he seems to be made of paper. There's a, a mention of him not wanting to go too close to the window in case he dries out in the sun. <laughs> uh, Judge Doom was invented for the movie. In, in the book, the villain is a genie in a tea kettle. Wait, was the book written first? Yeah, it's called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Yeah, well. So it's, it's really different. But then the the author, uh, Gary K. Wolf, he loved the movie so much that the subsequent books are much closer to the movie, you know, in terms of tone. Uh, and he said that he was inspired by serial adverts where the serial mascots spoke to humans. That's where he got the idea from. So yeah, kind right. of interesting. Yeah, you might remember um, there was a there was a rumor that if you pause the movie just right, uh, when Jessica spills out of the car, you can see that she's not wearing any underwear. Mm-hmm. And if you, like I did, <laughs> when you got the DVD, tried to check, you'll know that's not true. Except it is. It is. If you've got the laser disc. It's true. Yes, it's, it's still in well, there. The VHS. You can see the VHS. It. Yeah, try pausing the VHS. Though. <clears throat> yeah. Well, what's the it, what's what's the it you can see? She's not wearing any underwear. But. It's just so... it's just skin coloured paint. Oh no, it's just skin. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, in in later versions, they've painted it in white. But then they to took the they took it out again, though, didn't they? Because they got they took yeah, it out completely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, perverted uh, animation fans decided that they wanted to write letters about it. In an early draft of the movie, Jessica and Baby Herman were the villains. Oh, so that idea got dropped. Oh, wow. So Baby Herman never, never. And I realise what I'm saying here, but never gets old. Uh, <laughs> every every, ta- every my time, my stogie. Wow. Always funny. <laughs> always funny. Yeah, yeah he, he's he's in a in a now also um, reanimated scene. He goes under a woman's skirt, and originally he had his finger up there, and then he was <laughs> licking his lips. Jesus, Jesus his finger's been removed now. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my notes is this is the horniest PG rated film I think I've seen in some time, but it looks yeah. like uh, they've even toned it back and it's still Yeah, <laughs> yeah it wouldn't horny. have been a PG if it got released now, for sure. PG-13 yeah. at best. 12A. Charles Fleischer, who voiced Roger Rabbit, was very committed to the film as yeah. well as Hoskins. He read all his lines on the set, often in a full Roger Rabbit costume, mm. and staff <laughs> at the studio on other productions vocalised the rumour that Roger Rabbit was going to look shit because they thought that was what he was going to look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, here you go. Uh, spoiler alert to people out there who haven't seen David Finch's Zodiac, but it's strange watching Zodiac seeing Charles Fleischer at the end as the Zodiac killer in yeah. the likelihood. It's just, you, you cannot get Roger Rabbit out of your head when you're seeing him <laughs> Especially stalk because Jake Gyllenhaal. He's so into <laughs> movies, that character. Mm, yeah. Another one that I really, really love is in uh, the club when uh, when Eddie first arrives and the penguin comes to take his order and he says yeah. whiskey on the rocks and I mean, I mean ice. ice and then it yeah and then it comes and it has got rocks in it yeah, <laughs> yeah so good that penguin is the penguin yeah. from Mary Poppins yes yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah that's what he went on to do <laughs> well right out of the gate the first thing that I noted was the the score by Alan Silvestri is incredible. Yeah, uh, he also scored Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, and Avengers. But f- straight from that, ding ding ding, noir, 
perfect noir uh, yeah yeah sting opening the the music throughout is just incredible so uh yeah i wanted to mention that uh early favorite line of mine is uh toon killed his brother dropped the piano on his head <laughs> it's just such a yeah, perfect the delivery that's great it's, it's yeah. on my list as well yeah that's part of what makes hoskins performance so great for me because it's such a ridiculous comedy death but he sells mm. the mm. sorrow yeah, of it he does it also is a like it would be a horrible death as well right if mm. you think about it i imagine so horrendous <laughs> marvin acme gets the the safe yeah. on his head doesn't he yeah and you, yeah. you see he see his head's flat <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did you see when they're wheeling him off on the on the trolley? You can see that like the head part goes down yeah. and the feet are up. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, and we said earlier that this doesn't feel like a film for kids, but when Doom gets steamrolled, that's pretty screaming. horrible. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the noise that yeah. Christopher Lloyd yeah. makes. It's, yeah. it's, it's unnerving. Speaking of uh, Judge Doom, his intro is so great. You know, it's on a par with like a Darth Vader style intro when he puts the cane down on Bob's hand and then you see him from below mm. and he's this big presence and his teeth look like they're painted on with Tipex or something. Mm. Yeah. Just chilling presence right away. Did you know that Kathleen Turner is uncredited for her performance? What? Yeah, the, She's in amazing. the credits, Jessica Rabbit is listed just by the, the name of the woman who sang the song. Mm-hmm. No mention of Kathleen Turner. Wow. Was that her choice? She's great. Presumably? I don't know. I, see, I didn't realise, well, now I think about it, Robert Zemeckis did Romance in the Stone with her in, right? Yeah. Right. Her and Michael Douglas, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, fun movie. Mm. And Julian Lenoir. Danny DeVito's in that. Is he? Yeah. Hmm. Betty Boop was voiced by the original voice actor, Mae Questel, who played her throughout the 30s and went on to voice Olive Oil. <gasps> it's funny, that little cameo, because it's it's slightly sad, isn't it, that she's obsolete? Yeah. yeah. But she's like, I've still yeah. got it. <laughs> and his response yeah. to it is, yeah, you yeah, still got it. It's so it's genuine so sweet. and warm. Yeah. 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 That you believe he believes it, and mm-hmm. so yeah, that, that mm-hmm. saves it from being too depressing. Some of the scenes in Benny the Taxi uh, feature an animated Eddie Valiant, which is I've never mm-hmm. noticed. It's no, kind of didn't, seamless, right? Didn't notice that. And then my my final piece of of Triv, which I'm sure everybody who's a fan of the movie knows and and still is sad about to to some extent to this day, a prequel with the working title Toon Platoon was considered where Roger and several fellow Toons are drafted into the army during World War II, um, but it never got past uh, pre-production because uh, Spielberg had just made uh, Schindler's List and, and didn't want to make Nazis uh, sort of a, a comedy villain. I was going to make a Schindler's List joke as well. That's dashed that. Craig, come on. <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit sees the lovable tune framed for the murder of Marvin Acme after rumpled, rummy gumshoe Eddie Valiant catches Acme playing patty cake with Roger's wife. Thanks to studio boss R.K. Maroon, we learn that Acme's dalliance with Jessica was set up by him in order to blackmail Acme into selling Toontown, with Acme's murder and Roger's implication in it being unintended consequences. However, when Maroon is murdered by an unseen assailant, identified by Jessica Rabbit as none other than Judge Doom, the sinister lawman charged with bringing Roger to justice, Eddie uncovers Doom's dastardly plot to buy up the LA public transit system and wipe Toontown off the map with his patented dip so he can invest in the construction of a freeway 
that will cut through the prime real estate. Needing Acme out of the way and a patsy to take the fall, Doom tries to pin the murder on the hapless Roger. In short, he framed Roger Rabbit. So, what did we think of Judge Doom's scheme? First of all, Christopher Lloyd was terrifying as Judge Doom. It's very good. Just a great, great villain. Very unsettling. You forget. He's so iconic as Doc Brown. You you kind of forget how versatile Mm. he is. Yeah, Mm. and Fester. That's Mm. another completely different character that he yeah, nails cookies nest as well. Yeah, it's great. But uh, for the for the plot itself, oh. eight <gasps> Florence of broccoli. Very nice. Um, I I thought it was clever. There was a lot of uh moving parts that kind of all come together towards the end, and you realise how complex the uh, the plan was. It was dark. It was dastardly. It was eight Florence of broccoli fresh. Mm. Well, I don't have a rating system, but yeah, I, I'd say it was a really good plot as well. Um. I liked the way that it would have carried off quite seamlessly, really, apart from the intervention of Eddie Valiant, so, uh, who is probably the most unlikely character in the movie to defend the uh, prime suspect. So, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very holistic, isn't it? It seems like Judge Doom has thought of every eventuality, everything that needs to be taken care of to make his plan come off. The only fly in the ointment is... Eddie Valiant and uh, and and the will, right? Yeah, yeah, and the will. For me, it's one of the best plans that we have had. I'm I'm in agreement with Mr. Steinson. What is funny about that as well is that uh, Judge Doom, his character is quite unhinged, and his his kind of his goons, the weasels, they're all completely unhinged, but they they pull off this amazingly complex and sinister plot. It's, Kind of really suits the movie. It's, uh, it's I really funny. like the Chekhov's gun device of him telling them right at the start of the film one day they're going to laugh themselves to death. Mm. And yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> and then when uh, when uh, Eddie Valiant finally realizes it, then they do a little ping. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> as well, that's great. Speaking uh, of yeah. funny sound effects, I forgot to say earlier, but there's a booby wobble sound effect when Jessica bumps into Valiant. Yes. It's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and you know they they animated her boobs to go the opposite way, don't they? Because yeah. apparently, when a woman walks, they go down, up, down, up. But mm-hmm. hers go up, down, up, down to accentuate the movement. So That's that right. was said apparently like you've never seen boobs. When I go out today and I'm staring at women's boobs walking along <laughs> the pavement, I'll never look at them the same way ever again. <laughs> just if you get caught, just say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about who framed Roger Rabbit." <laughs> I was just thinking of Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that yeah. when they animated it? <laughs> and she'll be, they'll be like, oh, yeah, here, let me show you how they work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's probably how we'll transition into the music there, I think. <laughs> this is the part of the show where our panel of peril compete for the title of this week's Most Diabolical, and with it, the honour of choosing next week's movie, and hosting the show. Judge Doom wanted to get away with bumping off Toontown owner Marvin Acme so he could wash the whole thing away to make way for his freeway, but the plan was unsuccessful. Ben, what would you have done differently? Murdering Marvin Acme was a big mistake. It's much easier to change a man's mind when he's still alive. That's just science. So what I'd do 
is I'd get Acme to the negotiation table. Of course, he would never sell Toontown to me, so I'd need to engage the services of someone more persuasive than I. The effervescent Jessica Rabbit. Wait a minute. She'd never help you in a million years, I hear you cry. That's why, first, I would kidnap Roger Rabbit. My goons would wait for him after he finishes filming on set. They would approach him saying something like, Miss Jessica sent a car for you. She's waiting at the Income Paint Club. The mere mention of his wife's name would be enough to fool that foolish rabbit. With Roger as my hostage, I'd force Jessica to choose between helping me convince Acme to sell Toontown or watching her beloved get dipped. After a few steamy rounds of paddock cake, Acme would be putty in my hands. The deal would be done in seconds and I would pave cartoony paradise to put up a freeway lined with several parking lots. And the icing on the cake? Enamoured by my conviction and passion for progress, Jessica would get Stockholm Syndrome or something, <laughs> ditch the rabbit, and we'd live happily ever after. Okay, so do you think there's a danger that Jessica might go to the cops or to, to Valiant and Valiant? Yeah, she'd know. Going to Valiant, going to the cops is going to end up with Roger getting dipped. I mean, it's going to be hard to top. It's 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 pretty solid. Apart from Jessica's unwavering dedication to her husband. Yeah, exactly. That's that, That's exactly what's going to make her do what I say, because otherwise he's going to get dipped. Would you double dip? I'll dip her. In fact, I'm going to dip him anyway. She doesn't know that. Don't tell her. I'm going to dip her. Any- I'm going to dip him anyway, regardless. And then me and Jessica. That's all you wrote this plan for, just so you could get your unearthly pleasures. My greasy mitts. My greasy mitts <laughs> yeah. on her physics-defying breasts. Yeah, well, yeah, man can dream. Okay, Adam, let's hear from you next, please. Post-war America was booming and capitalism was in full swing. To keep America on top, it has to keep growing. Building a new large freeway or motorway, as we still call it in the UK, will be the arteries of new economic lifeblood to the US. Standing in the way is Toontown. A small community of entertaining beings, but nevertheless flies in the capitalist ointment. How to solve this problem? Well, Doom would seek help from a higher power, namely US Senator Joseph McCarthy. Yes, all those living in Toontown and those that protect them are anti-American, anti-capitalist and subverting the economic future of the US. You've guessed it, folks. Toons are commies. <laughs> Doom <laughs> McCarthy. <laughs> Doom, McCarthy and cohorts would gradually turn public opinion against Toontown in a series of congressional and Senate hearings abetted by a number of turncoat Toons who are good American citizens. Maybe Tasmanian devil grasses up Bugs Bunny, albeit in a totally incoherent way, like McCarthyism itself. Point being, public opinion is turned against the Toons and Toontown and they are removed from their home in order to make way for progress and the unstoppable march of capitalism. Is Mickey Mouse really a communist? He's the most capitalist of all of them, surely. He's 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 like he's in deep deep cover of being a communist. He's because he's like the American 
he's a hero. He's the person you least suspect, but he's the most like communist of them all. <laughs> oh, little do those fuckers know I'm a fucking commie. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my pants are red. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, exactly. Actually, <laughs> if you read early Mickey Mouse comic strips and watch the animated Mickey Mouse cartoon on Disney Plus, Mickey, Goofy, and Donald are actually bums who go around stealing stuff all the time. And like they, there's an epi- there's a brilliant episode where they break into a guy's house to use his pool. So Mickey was always meant to be like a poor guy, and he, you know, comes across what he can. So I think that's believable that he could be a, a communist. I'm just thinking though, this movie's set in 1947. And uh, McCarthy only became senator in '47. I don't think uh, McCarthyism, as we know it, started in earnest until 1950. Late '40s uh, uh, and early '50s, and then it fizzled out by about '55. But I like it. There's no timeline. Yeah, you know, this you can it. do it later. That's a good point. There's no no timeline. But if you want to change public opinion, you're going to need some good propaganda. Could you uh, give me a taster? Um, I don't know. <laughs> what would your slogan be? Uh, tunes are commies. <laughs> to the point. <laughs> I'm convinced. If you've eaten a carrot, you're basically eating the food of commies because Bug Bunny is a commie. Yeah, again, Bugs Bunny, you know, he doesn't appear to be employed. No. <laughs> he tunnels around, stealing carrots where he can. Taking the wrong turn at Albuquerque. He's a freeloader. He, he picks on American citizens who like guns, like Yosemite Sam and... Down with foot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, lovely. Okay, so, Gareth, can you top that? Well now, now well, yes indeed. Indeed, yes. Here we <laughs> go. <laughs> Dip. The very name strikes fear into the hearts of tunes. Cool. Did someone just walk over my fucking grave? Nasty stuff. (laughs) Stomach churning though the very thought of dip might be. There's one name that makes those smoky barrels of goo pale in comparison. That name is David Zasloff. (laughs) If you want to get rid of a bunch of fully animated tunes, the new CEO of Warner Brothers is your man. He can be prized away for the right figure, I'm sure. He's a man of figures after all. New Scooby-Doo movie? Don't want it, thanks. Throw it in the bin. <laughs> New Bruce Tim animated Batman series? Get the fuck out of here, douchebag. <laughs> Infinity Train, Uncle Grandpa, Summer Camp Island, OK KO, Let's Be Heroes, so long, suckers. The man is a spree killer of tunes of the highest order. And so if I'm Judge Dean, the first thing I'm doing when the money comes through for the new road is to get on the blower, or old dog and bone if you prefer, and have a word in Zaslav's ear, or shell like if you prefer. Donald Duck, you can do one, mate, in the shredder with you. Crispy duck pancakes with plum sauce for tea tonight, cheers. Mickey Mouse, you must be taking the Mickey if you think he's going to survive this literal axe that Zaslav holds over his head. (laughs) And this is no Sorcerer's Apprentice type deal either. He'll be bubble and squeak for the main course. And who can be pudding? I don't know, is there a cartoon moose in there somewhere, chocolate moose? I'm saying there is, prove me wrong. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah, okay, Bullwinkle. He can be chocolate moose for pudding. 
Once Susloff has wreaked havoc in Toontown, making literal mincemeat of the characters, <laughs> Doom will be free to lay his beautiful tarmac safe in the knowledge that he's hired a real professional to do his dirty work. When you need Toons gone and gone permanently, the only thing to do is call David Susloff. That checks out. He is killing animation over at uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. What, one question I do have, though, is how old was uh, David Zaslav in 1947? <laughs> uh, well, I believe... Minus 13? I believe he's um, 112 now. <laughs> so... Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so that would make him, what, in his 40s? <laughs> it's like, but it's like uh, he's like an omnipotent power. Even before he was born, his like aura is already seeping out into the world and destroying Satan. things. I can see, I can see where you where you're coming <laughs> from with that one. Some absolutely diabolical schemes there, but there can be only one winner. This week's most diabolical and host of next week's show is, and I can't believe I'm saying this again, it's Adam. Wow. Commie Tunes really swung it for me. Okie dokie. <laughs> That's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> Commie Tunes really swung it for me. I believe in my heart that Mickey, Goofy, Bugs and Pals are at heart communists. So I didn't need any propaganda to further that. The propaganda exists and it's all of the the Disney comic strips that show that to be true. Okay, thank you. So, uh, Adam, what movie do you have picked for us next? In my victory speech, I would like to give a significant nod to Gareth's plan and, and echo his thoughts. Needless dig at Ben there for no reason. <laughs> I feel slighted. Well, just like earlier on WhatsApp, Tony, you can shove it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, um, so, uh, next week... Just a word of warning. If it's a Star Trek film, I'm quitting. <laughs> oh, <no>. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> next week, we will be dissecting Martin Scorsese classic, The Departed. Oh, The Departed. Wicked. Wicked pisser. Bon appetit. Is that a remake of the... Infernal Affairs. Yeah, okay, okay. That about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you might get your podcasts from. It would also help to tell your friends in person and on social media. Help spread the word. Listening to the pod regularly has been shown to significantly increase the chances of your favorite TV show not getting cancelled slash returning. To catch all the latest from the Diabolical Podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod and on Facebook at Diabolical. Don't forget to join us next week. We'll be diving into the murky world of 2006's The Departed. Until next time, remember, a laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why, sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have. <laughs>